Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Uh, so a little boy, he, he wants a bike really bad for Christmas. It's that time of year, and I don't know about you, but your, my kids have already, um, it's kind of funny, two weeks ago, um, my daughter Zoe brought us a, uh, a toy magazine with literally every toy in the magazine circle. <laughs> but um, a little boy wants a bike for Christmas really bad, but the kid is kind of a bad seed, and, and he knows it. And so he writes this letter to Jesus. He says, Dear Jesus, if I get a bike for Christmas, I will be good for a whole week. <laughs> and he thinks about it a little bit more, and he, and he crosses out what he wrote, and he says, I can't be good for a whole week. I'll be good for five days. And then he crosses that out, and he says, I'll be good for four days. And he thinks again and says, I cannot do that. And he gets down to one day and he says, I can't even be good for one stinking day. Then in frustration, he goes in his mother room, mother's room and he, he gets the, the, the statue of the Virgin Mary from the, the little uh, display that they have. And he wraps it in a blanket and he puts it in a paper bag and he throws it in his closet and he says, Dear Jesus, if I don't get a bike for Christmas, you'll never see your mom again. <laughs> Just as, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Just as the, uh, the punchline to that joke was a bit expect, unexpected, rather. You know, the way the, the Christmas story plays out, the way the, the birth of Christ plays out, in some sense, too, is a little unexpected. The story of the Messiah seems contrary to what the people of this time would have expected, and honestly, what you and I might expect today. Not only would the, the people that God chose have been unlikely candidates to play a role in the, the coming of the Messiah, the Messiah himself, Jesus, he comes in a very unexpected way. Uh, this series that we're starting this morning is, is called Authentic Christmas. And, and what makes something authentic? What's, what makes something authentic? Well, it's It's real. You know, it, it's, it's genuine. And guess what? You and I can be messes at times, can't we? <laughs> you know, we can, we can feel like we don't have things together. We don't always have things figured out. And sometimes we feel like there is no way, there is no way that God could or would use me. And what I love about the Christmas story, you know, I, I love the lights, I love the gifts, I love family, I love snow, I love everything about Christmas, but, but what I love about the Christmas story is that Jesus comes in an unlikely way, through unlikely circumstances, using some of the most unlikely people. And when we're confronted with Jesus and our part in his plan, you know, we can point out that we're less ideal candidates or less than ideal candidates. We can, we can doubt and question why God chose us. We can look to other people who might have been the better choice. Or we can recognize 
the hope that is found in this. I said this earlier, God chooses to use us. He doesn't have to, but God chooses to use us. And in this choice to choose the unlikely to participate in his plan, God puts on display for all to see just how amazing our God truly is. Amen? And so if you have your Bibles this morning, you can get your Bible out. We're in Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bible app, you can go ahead and get to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 5. And so it reads, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And so I love the beginning of this. Luke starts out this description of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and in a way he's like, let's start off with the good. You know, they were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but the bad was they were childless and they were very old. Do you know anybody who does that? Do you know anybody who starts off with a compliment to like ease a critique? Have you ever met somebody like that? Well, uh, kind of like this, you, you know, your wife makes, is making dinner, and um, you say, you, you know, yes, honey, uh, the lasagna was warm, <laughs> but it was dry and didn't taste very good. Uh, now, this wasn't Luke's intention at all. But as far as, as far as their peers are concerned, Zechariah and Elizabeth are insignificant people. In many respects, they seemed very different than the people that were around them. Zechariah was a priest. He wasn't a priest in Jerusalem, though. He wasn't a a priest in Jericho, which would have given him some sort of credibility to be a priest in in those bigger cities. Rather, he was in a small town. In in modern-day terminology, we might call Zechariah and Elizabeth hillbillies. Not only were they insignificant, but they were elderly and without children. It said, as I was just kind of researching, that they were like in their 80s, mid to late 80s. And so in this time, there was, there was certainly a stigma attached to those without children. It was often thought that, that, God, uh, that God's judgment was on them for some sin that they committed because they could not have children. Now, had, had man been responsible for choosing the parents of John the Baptist, I believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth probably would have been an incredibly unlikely choice. No one probably would have chosen them. Yet the unlikely, the counted out, the overlooked is exactly who God chooses. It wasn't because of their physical appearance. It wasn't because of their social status, their influence. All which would have been what man would base a decision on. Rather, it was their devotion to God that set them apart from their peers. I want to ask us a question this morning. You know, how many of us would admit 
that we've experienced times where we felt counted out, overlooked, underqualified, ill-equipped, unappreciated, unvalued. Anybody? <laughs> Listen, God is wanting to remind us this morning. It is He who calls us to His purpose is not man. How many of us are missing out? This is a question that I ran through my mind as I was preparing for this, but like, how, how many of us are missing out on what God has for us because we're waiting on man to qualify us? Listen, I, I, I believe that this is something that God wants us to hear because it was, uh, this is something that the Lord's been working on with me. If God calls us, it is he who qualifies us. If God calls us, it is he who qualifies us. There is nothing that man can say or do that would qualify us for the work that God has for us. Let's move on to verse 11. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he startled. He was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, I want us to take note of Zechariah's response. Gabriel declares to him, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child, and you're going to name this child John. And Zechariah asks the angel, he says, how can I be sure of this? You know, I'm an old guy, and if you haven't, if you haven't been able to tell, my wife's pretty old too. And Zechariah's response is essentially, you know, how, how do I know this will happen? You know, I'm old, my wife's old, how do I know this, is, this will happen? And I think this is something that is important to consider as we read this text. Some of us, if, and, and I'll speak for myself, over the course of your life, I've often been told, you know, how unlikely it is that this will happen and how unlikely it is that this will happen. You know, we're told, you know, how unlikely it is that we'll amount to much, how unlikely it is that we'll accomplish anything, how unlikely it is that we're going to be loved, how unlikely it is that God would ever choose to use us because of, the, because of where you come from, where you've been, the things that you've done, so much so that we begin to believe it ourselves. I want to ask another question. How many of us this morning are convinced? And I want us to be honest with ourselves this morning. How many of us this morning are convinced that God could not use me? I mean, you'd rationalize that in your head by saying, you know, do you have any idea where I come from? Do you know where I've been? Do you know the things that I've done? In Zechariah's case, do you know how old I am? (laughs) And I imagine Gabriel's response to Zechariah, like, good grief, man. 
Do you not know who is telling you and your wife that you will have a son? I am Gabriel. I am the angel who stands in God's presence. When I speak, I speak for God. And in the same way the Lord is saying to us this morning, good grief. Do you not know who is calling you to a place of purpose? He's saying to us this morning, I know where you come from. I know where you've been. Listen, I know the things that you've done. I know that others might consider you an unlikely choice, but in spite of it all, I still choose you. Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't the only unlikely people to be used by God in an extraordinary way. And and the start of the, the, the Christmas story, the birth of the Messiah, Mary too would have been considered an unlikely choice to mother the Messiah. Let's skip down to verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now I underline um, Nazareth, Nazareth in this text because I, want I wanted us to, to see something. You know, to a Jew, place of origin or where you came from meant something. It was, it was incredibly important to them. Now, Nazareth, Nazareth was a small town. Uh, in my reading, it said population could have been as little as 100. It was a very small town. And it was right outside of a, a larger town. Um, and so it was likely a town of farmers and laborers and, and shepherds. And evidence, evidence suggested that the, the people in this town, um, some of them would Actually, their homes would be in caves um, because this was probably the least likely, or I'm sorry, the least expensive way to build a home. And so this kind of shows also a a sign of of poverty. I want us also to recall about Nazareth in in John chapter 1, verse 46, when Nathaniel is talking about Jesus, he says this, can anything good come out of Nazareth. Let's continue to verse 30. It says this, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever." and his kingdom will never end. And so here we find this young teenage girl. This is insane to think nowadays, but at, at, during this time, you know, uh, it, women, it was said, would live to like 30 to 40 years max. That was the life expectancy. And so Mary is between the ages of 12 and 14. That's, that's incredible to even think about. Like, my daughter's 10, so two years from now possibly could be the time frame of, of when Mary, Gabriel uh, came to Mary. Mary's from this impoverished little town, unimportant, low-standing, working town, 
working class town called Nazareth. And she learns here that she will conceive and give birth to the Messiah. I'm like, all things being said, how many of you would be like, uh, what is going on? <laughs> I, I asked my students, uh, we, we were t- talking about Christmas, you know, if you went to your, your mother and father and, and said that the, an angel of the Lord appeared to you and this is what he said, what do you think that they would say? <laughs> Not good. <laughs> so why Mary? Why Mary? Why did God choose this town of all places to find this little teenage girl to conceive and give birth to Jesus? You know, why would God choose Nazareth? Why would he look down? Why would this town that's looked down upon by the people of Galilee? Again, said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, why would God choose Mary? What does it tell us about God that this story did not take place among the wealthy, but instead in Nazareth, among working class people, some of whom lived in caves? And I think, in my, in my opinion, for what it's worth, I believe that Mary's response really says it all. In verse 38, she sums up this conversation with Gabriel. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And, 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 and here's something that's incredible, and I am learning as a 33-year-old. You know, in, in spite of not fully understanding what this meant, not clearly seeing how this was going to play out, she understood the, the danger and the humili- humiliation that she could face being a young, unmarried, pregnant girl. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your words be fulfilled. And guys, God choosing Mary once again shows us that God does not look for the most qualified, the most influential, the obvious choice. He looks for the meek and the humble to use for his greatest purposes. And I was humbled when I read this. I'm going to be... Little transparent, you know, most of my life, or a lot of my life, I've I've been concerned with influence and qualification and standing out. And all God needs for us to accomplish his purpose is a humble heart. God chooses the unlikely to accomplish his most important work. So what do we do what we know? What do we do with that? Well, as I, I shared my little catchphrase, you know, Anthony says, let's put some leather on it. I, I don't, this is the first you've heard this. I shared it with him. But my catchphrase is, let's put some gravy on this. <laughs> I like gravy too. <laughs> All right, so what do we need to do? First point is this, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Imagine being 80 plus years old, walking your wife into the doctor's office because she has an upset stomach, and the doctor tells you your wife is pregnant. I don't know what I would do, honestly. I would probably either laugh like this is some kind of dumb joke, or I'd roll my eyes and say, get serious. 
My wife is 80. (laughs) But when Gabriel told Zechariah that Elizabeth would be expecting, he didn't believe it. He said, I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And because of this unbelief, he was made silent and could not speak until John was born. Zechariah was not able to speak from the time Elizabeth conceived until John's birth, nine months. How many, and now, how many of you wives would be like, Lord, please? That, that would have been incredible if that was me. <laughs> and you know, I don't think that, I don't think Zechariah's mouth was shut for just questioning Gabriel. Rather, I think his mouth was primarily shut because essentially he questioned whether God could really do what he said he would do. And here's the thing, you know, although it's, it's unlikely we're going to see our wife conceive at 80, it is likely, though, that we too have doubted and questioned God's ability to do what he has claimed that we could do, that he could do in our lives. This is kind of amazing how the Lord's kind of set this up. You know, I asked Carrie if there was going to be a testimony shared today, yesterday, because I couldn't remember. And she said, yeah, they're going to be sharing about the outposts. And, you know, in my message, I have, um, you know, share what God's been doing in the, in the outposts as an illustration. <laughs> and, it's an, and it's incredible to see this group of people up here share about how God's using them how God's been working in in these communities and what God's been doing. I, from firsthand experience, would say to you that going going into this and and being called to mission, I I honestly had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't know what was in store. I'm not the type that sees this clear picture and says, you know, I believe that God's going to do this. I just have to step out in faith and and just be obedient to what God's asking me to do. And, you know, I've been uh, to a a handful of different outposts. You know, in in Marine City, for instance, I, I can't even tell you how incredibly amazed I have been and seeing what Anita and Jerry have been doing in Marine City. I mean, to see the way that the community loves her, interacts with them, I can see that she cares about them a great deal. To see these people, not from our church, come to these food pantries to help set up. The the last one I was at, this this woman, she brought a bunch of toys and set them out on a table for, for these little kids that would come when their parents were coming to get food. I, I watched as, as Jerry and Anita would pray for these people in this community and tears were streaming down their cheeks. And then when people were done coming, Jerry's like, all right, this community has so many people that can't even get out. We're loading everything in the truck and we're driving house to house to house to house to house. And to knock on doors... And to say, hey, listen, we're just here because we love you. We, we know that there's a need. We, want, we have food. And then to be given the chance to share Christ with these people have been 
an incre- has been an incredible privilege. I can honestly say, and those of you who have been working in the harvest field could probably agree with this, some of the most... I've been in ministry for almost 11 years now, I think. It's, it's some of the most fruitful things that I've ever been a part of. And it's not because of me. It's not because of Pastor Anthony and, and what he's doing. It's not because of John and Carrie. It's because of God and the work that he's doing in us and through us. I brought my son, Gabe, to this pantry uh, this in Marine City because I wanted him to see this. I wanted him to be a part of it. And, and he didn't know what was going on. He brought a friend with him who is unchurched. We drive around to these people's houses. We come around this corner, and there's this family that is setting up for a funeral. Their grandmother had just died. We didn't know that. They didn't know that we were coming. We stopped and we said, you know, could we, could you guys use some food? And of course they said yes. We got to talking with them. I'm talking to uh, one of these uh, one person, and I turn around, and my son is standing there with his hands on this lady praying for her. And just tears are streaming down her face. People need to know about Jesus. People need to know the hope that we have in Christ. There is a whole world that is lost. There is a whole world that needs to know about him. You know, if our mission here at Crossroads is, is to pass on an obedient relationship with Christ to our communities, church, we need to start believing that God would do what we did not expect Him to do. We need to start believing in the things that are unbelievable. Ephesians 3.20 came to my mind, you know, God is able to exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or hope. Why do we put God in a box? Why do we put God in a box? And, and, and the only thing that we can think of Him doing are, is what we comprehend. God can do so much more than we can comprehend. So expect the unexpected. Secondly, expect the unexplainable. Verse 34, Mary says this, How will this be? Since I am a virgin? Very good question. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think all of us probably would have responded this way. But if we read a little bit deeper into what she's saying, I, I don't think that she's saying, How can this be? as this is impossible. This is not going to happen. Rather, I think, I think that Mary is just awestruck. How can this be? That I would carry the Son of God. And this is, this is contrary to Zechariah's response, where Zechariah doubted Mary believes. She just doesn't see or understand how it's going to happen, and that's okay. Again, there's a lot I feel like the Lord's calling me to, and I have no idea how it's going to happen. I don't have a clear picture of how to get there. But again, we take steps of obedience. Hebrews 11.1, 1, I was reminded, you know, by faith we are certain of what we do not see. Meaning that if we see or think or, or feel 
something that, that doesn't match what God says, you know what, we trust him, we believe anyway, and we claim that what he's promised us as truth. And that's faith. My mind is not going to ever, con- my mind is not going to ever comprehend the virgin birth. Like, there's, is there anyone in here that your mind can comprehend the virgin birth? No, but I, I know what happened. You know, some of us in this room are looking at your marriage and saying, you know, I just don't see it. I, I certainly don't feel it. And you say, but God, I, I trust you. There's a lot of people, a lot of young people especially, because I, I, I'm with them every week that deal with uh, some type of uh, mental illness, whether it be anxiety, depression, anything. And you say, God, this is, this is incredibly hard. Well, I, don't, I don't feel like it's ever going to go away. I certainly don't see it. Right now, I'm certainly having trouble believing it. But God, I still trust you. And we need to begin to believe that God would do the unexplainable in our lives. That when we would walk into a doctor's office after years and years of dealing with a disorder, that we would believe for healing. God would do something that that our mind can't even comprehend as Mary did. And then lastly, last point is this, expect the unlikely. I want to invite the worship team up and our prayer team, our prayer partners this morning. What if God had used the likely? What if he had used the influential, the wealthy, the obvious choice? What if God would have used the ideal people to take part in this incredible story? The beauty of the gospel is because God chose to use the ordinary like you and I. The beauty of the gospel is because God chose to use the ordinary like you and I. It is Jesus who becomes the extraordinary focus. This morning, God is inviting you and I to be a part of of something that he's doing. Sometimes we look around and we say, you know, I don't see God. I want to assure you this morning that God is inviting all of us, everyone in this room, the people that are absent from service today, people in our community, God is inviting you and I this morning to be a part of what he's doing. There's going to be times that we feel unqualified. There's going to be times where we feel like there's a thousand better choices. But ultimately, God chooses to use us. As I said, he doesn't have to, he doesn't need to, but he chooses to have the unlikely participate in his plans. It's an incredibly humbling thing to think that God would choose you and I 
to partner with him to accomplish kingdom work. I want us to consider this, and and we're going to worship. I've really been wrestling with this a lot lately. Every day, there are people that are going to hell because they do not know Jesus. Every day, there are people that are lonely to their self and suffering. God chooses to use you and I to partner with Him in His work to show His incredible glory and His strength and His power. And where we feel unqualified, where we feel like we, we cannot you know, do this or do that, God fills in the gaps. It's in our weakness that He is made strong. So this morning... I believe wholeheartedly that God is calling us. God is calling us to step outside of ourselves and begin looking and praying for the people around us in this community. What a shame. What a shame it would be to sit here in our seats and continue to believe that we are not equipped enough. (sighs) What if Mary hadn't said yes? Think of the implications. What What if Zechariah hadn't said yes? What if the shepherds hadn't said yes? What if the the wise men hadn't said yes? And that's what strikes my heart so heavy this morning. The times that I chose not to say yes, Lord. And what that meant. I want, to, I want to charge us this morning. God is calling us to something bigger than ourselves. And it's to be a part of his plan to see all people come to know him. It is not his will that any should perish, but that every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Would you, don't you want to be a part of that? So as we, as we stand, let's stand. We're going to worship. I want us to. I want us to think about that. What is God calling to you that you've been hesitating to step into? What are the ways that God could use you to impact His kingdom? And it's time to say yes.